Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, what we're going to do on today's podcast is we just got a, a review for you today. We are reviewing Gemini Man, the newest movie by Ong Lee, starring Will Smith. Should be a lot of fun to dive into. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. And this podcast is brought to you today courtesy of our sponsors, 8 Hours and Candid Company. Before we get to the review of Gemini Man, though, I do want to respond to uh, some of the reaction we got uh, to our episode last week about Joker. Uh, Here's an email that's representative of some people's thoughts. Uh, This email came in from Joshua from Detroit, Michigan. Who writes in, uh, hello, Slash Filmcast. Thank you so much for making the show. Love listening each week and appreciate the hard work you all put into making it an entertaining and informative show. I've been a big fan for the past few years. But this week's Joker episode had me literally yelling out loud in frustration. It pains me to listen to people I respect and sometimes agree with. Completely missed the boat on something I found so powerful and important. Intentionally or not, this is a leftist movie about class and alienation. It deserves a coherent reading as such that none of you are able to provide. I completely agreed with Jeff when he said he wished there was someone who could defend the movie rather than trying to explain all my frustrations with this email. I will respectfully suggest a couple people who would come on and defend the Joker. They will be able to explain the politics of the film. All of you completely missed or misinterpreted much better than I can. Leslie Lee III has tweeted that Joker is a leftist movie and that we, the left, need to take it as a win. I haven't listened to his Struggle Session podcast episode about it yet, but I always find his takes illuminating and surprising. Matt Christman went on the most recent episode of his podcast, Chapo Trap House, and shockingly called the film a masterpiece. He is a historian and an entertaining podcaster. His take was fairly close to what I got out of the film, but much more informed by actual politics and history. Um, thank you for taking the time to read my email. I really hope you guys can find the time to air a dissent to this week's episode. Uh, there is more to politics than having diverse Avengers. So, respectfully, Joshua Foster. Uh, so that comes in from Joshua from Oakland. Uh, and uh, wanted to, first of all, thank everyone for listening to the episode uh, and having such passionate reactions. Uh, I think that in general, I think that like when you discuss something that... Uh, is very polarizing and people don't have reaction to it. That's actually a bad sign. It means like people aren't actually paying attention to you anymore or they don't care what you have to say. So the fact that people did react in such a strong fashion means that they take us seriously. Uh, and I understand people's disappointment. At the same time, uh, I, so much of the disappointment stemmed from the fact that all four of us on last week's podcast didn't like the movie. And a lot of people were disappointed that uh, hey, why didn't you get someone on the show who liked the movie? And, and I, I tweeted a reaction to this, but basically my, my reaction summed up to like, it's really difficult to get people onto a show. Like it's really difficult to like arrange a podcast uh, with a guest. And it's even more difficult to try to pre-vet their opinion. So like logistically, it's already a challenge. Uh, that said, Jeff, I think you have actually a really good philosophy on this, right? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't want to discount the difficulty because it is difficult, but I also don't think that's the best way to make a podcast. I genuinely don't. As somebody that's been making review podcasts for over a decade, it, it has become my experience that the best way to do it is to assemble people you respect whose opinions you genuinely are interested in and have a discussion 
that is not vetted beforehand, that you aren't just trying to set up in a certain way to have an entire spectrum of opinions represented. Uh, it's sometimes it just so happens that everybody agrees on uh, their opinion about something, even if the larger audience as a whole is is much more varied in their opinion. That's just how the dice rolls sometimes. And I can understand if you are somebody that felt really positively about Joker, hearing that episode and feeling uh, like that voice was missing, but I don't believe it makes for a better podcast to artificially create varied opinions. It's much more interesting. And I understand people are like, hey, you had a guest on anyway. Why not just have a guest who liked the movie? Well, it's I think it's more interesting to have a guest who has seen the movie and feel strongly about it. And then we all find out how we feel in real time. Uh, I think that is, um, that is for me, that my preferred manner of, of conducting shows like this, where we're all discovering whether we agree or, or disagree as the episode unfolds, rather than pre-vetting it beforehand and trying to set up a, you know, a CNN talking heads panel of equanimity. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think that's a great point. And I, I also think just like people need to consider how these episodes actually happen. Like I invited Bob onto the podcast weeks ago, right? And uh, like th this takes weeks of planning to get someone onto the show. And then, okay, uh, first of all, I don't even know what your opinions are, like Devendra and Jeff's opinions yeah, are. We rarely like pre-vet. We don't pre-vet our opinions. So then it's like, it's okay. Better. That's better that way. I agree. I and then, But then even if I did, let's say like, I, oh, we all didn't like the show. Then I find out Bob didn't like the movie. Uh, didn't like the movie. So what do I go back and like disinvite him from? It just doesn't make any sense to me, like that people want like people's opinion to be pre vetted. So that's one thing. It's just like logistically, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then uh, additionally, uh, it, it's also a thing where I just simply don't believe that it is true in general that the better podcast is one where the opinions differ you know i think that uh people you can have a great podcast episode where everyone's opinion is the same you can have a great podcast episode where everyone's opinions are different it doesn't just because they're all the same doesn't make it a inherently bad episode now i'm not saying i'm not like necessarily saying like that was the best episode we've ever done i'm just saying that like uh i, I think people have uh opinions about what makes a good podcast episode that differ to my own uh, for a across a variety of vectors, and I think like Jeff, you've articulated some of them. I've articulated others. Uh, I but think it's it's you know it's understandable if you're somebody that liked a movie or disliked a movie, and everybody on the podcast disagrees with you. I I can understand being like, man, I wish somebody had my opinion, especially if I'm seeing my opinion out in the wild. Right? I get that. That's a natural reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it doesn't take into consideration how that happens and why that happens and it, it's kind of unrealistic yeah and the best uh, the best we can do is offer our opinions and uh, opinions of a guest who we think is interesting that's that's yeah. basically all we can do and it, and uh that being said the reason i read josh's email is because uh there i, I don't know if you're aware of this but they're like thousands of opinions of this movie out there you know like if you don't like our opinion there's many other opinions that will match your own that are out there that you can enjoy so uh appreciate again everyone listening appreciate the passion hope people will understand that uh making a podcast in general is difficult making a podcast with differing opinions is that are guaranteed to be different is basically impossible at least the way we do this podcast um but uh yeah i mean 
we I, th- I think we offer something that is uh, an interesting perspective on the world, and hopefully people will uh, appreciate that for what it is. So anyway, uh, let's move on uh, and get to our main review today, which is of Ang Lee's newest film, Gemini Man. Tell me something. Why is it so hard for you to kill this man? He knew every move of mine before I made it. I'd have him right there to take the shot. I wanna be forever young. And he'd be gone like a ghost. Do you really wanna live forever? Who is he? That was from the trailer for Gemini Man, the newest film by director Ong Lee. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. An over-the-hill hitman faces off against a younger clone of himself. So, Devinder Hardwar, you are senior editor at Engadget.com. Uh, uh-huh. You are very much into new and upcoming and breakthrough technology, particularly when it comes to, uh, to theatrical and home entertainment. Uh, so th- the idea of one of our best directors uh, using this technology to bear on a sci-fi action movie starring one of the last great movie stars had to be al- at least intriguing to you, right? Oh, oh, yes. Sign me up. I've been basically begging for – I've been uh, begging to interview Ang Lee since uh, July about this movie, like once it started getting closer. So – yeah, yeah, I, I've been excited for a long time. I right. thought you were, Dave. I thought you were going to say, uh, Davindra, you are a senior editor at Engadget. What if junior editor you came and tried to take over? <laughs> oh no, 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 that is not the direction I went with that. But uh, you could just splice so, in uh, stuff from the podcast ten years ago. Basically. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, Davindra, after all that build up, after that excitement, watching Gemini Man, what do you think of the final film? Yeah, so I I talked about this a bit a couple of weeks ago when I saw the premiere here in New York. And let me just say I was blown away by the presentation because I'm really intrigued by high frame rate uh, technology and kind of where it's taking us and how it's making movies look. I saw um, the last thing Ang Lee did, which few people saw, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk at one of the few theaters here uh, in the world that was showing that movie at 120 FPS uh, 3D, the, the whole shebang. And I was really, I didn't think that was a great movie, but I was really astounded by the way it looked and kind of what Ang Lee was trying to convey. And this movie, I think, brings that tech to a whole new level. Um, he does some set pieces here, which uh, had, it, it, it was like blowing my hair back. It was like I was seeing a chase sequence in a completely new way. I was reminded of like the first time I saw the Born Supremacy crazy ass uh, taxi chase at the end, which is remains one of my favorite chase sequences in, in a film ever because of the way it made the audience collectively feel. I could hear the audience like release a, a breath after that chase was over. And I kind of had a similar feeling here. Uh, I, I think the high frame rate stuff looks weird at first, I got used to it. Um, I think there's a lot of problems with the presentation in terms of how people around the country are seeing it because not everybody has access to the full 120 FPS, uh, you know, 3D thing. And basically only one place I think right now can show it even in 4K. So we're really tech limited here. Uh, So as 
a glimpse into the future of cinema. I'm just really intrigued and I really dug some of what this movie did. I will not defend the script. I won't defend like, <laughs> you know, the quality of this movie uh, as a movie. If I, if I saw this thing outside of HFR, uh, I probably would be far less interested in it. Uh, if this came out in the mid nineties, when it seems like it was basically written, I remember hearing things about this movie for a long, long time. Uh, you know, it, it feels like a, a sci-fi movie that belongs in the genre of like demolition man or something, right. Or the time of demolition man. So movies kind of messy. There are things I really liked about it. I think, well, hold only, on, before you yeah. get to that, let's just pause yeah. for a moment. And like, I just want to clarify some of the stuff you've been talking about. So like, sure, sure. so Gemini man is intended to be seen mm-hmm. in 120 FPS, 4k 3d. Correct. Sure. Like that's, Which that is, is the intended format. That is what it was made for. I don't know. Even Ang Lee can't say he intends. Yeah, that's what we it was made for. Can't say it because we nobody can see it. That yeah, nobody the, the, can yeah, see it. Exactly. Right? So, so, that's so, the thing. so you you are unable to see it in that format in the United States. Yeah. Uh, you can. In the, let me let me just tell you for the actual premiere of this movie, uh, you know, with press and with Ang Lee, uh, we saw at the Dolby screening room here. That thing was still limited to 2K. 120 yeah. FPS in 3D, and he even apologized for that. And that is Dolby's flagship screening room in New York. <laughs> yeah. So there are evidently you know, what 12 or 14 theaters in yeah. the entire United States that you can see it in not the best version, but yeah. still better. 120 frames per second, but at 2K instead of 4K, which is yeah. what it was filmed in. And more and theaters I, will be showing it in 60 FPS 3D, well, which is it's I something. Was, I was just about to say I made the effort because I looked at the list of 12, the 12 yes. theaters and I went, Hey, I'm in Los Angeles. Good job, I'm, in the, I'm in a big market. Century city AMC has one of is one of these theaters. And I mm-hmm. went, you know what? I don't know if you guys know this, but I live across the street from a movie theater. I I'm not going to walk to the movies this time. I'm actually going to get oh. in my car. I'm going to drive oh, all across town in Los Angeles in commute traffic. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And I got there. And I went in and it. I, I bought my ticket and it said 3D H, uh, HFR. Got in, sat down, went and saw the movie. And then by by the end, I'm 95 percent sure I saw it in 60. <laughs> why is that, Jeff? Because they don't label it clearly. Mm. Oh man. Well, why are I you sure you that. saw it in 60? Like, why do you not think I'm it not, was 100? I, I feel like I was in a Dolby theater, and then when I yes. got home. I looked at the theater across the street from me and it had the exact same label mm. in the I, Dolby theater. I think Dolby is limited. I think is limited in the theaters to 260. I can't, I can't say for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. and we should point out that like what 120 frames per second indicates, right? Is like normal movies are shot and displayed at 24 frames per second. And it's, it's essentially like a kind of a film filmic look that's whatever the look that everyone associates with film is 24 frames per second um 30 or 60 frames per second is much closer to like video or what you'd see on like reality television or youtube right is kind of the look that a lot of people feel uh you you know your 120 hertz mode or your 240 hertz mode on your tv the thing that we constantly tell people to shut off uh (laughs) That is kind of the effect that you might. Get. I, I will say, let's be clear. That is not that is not the effect. Like people kept conflating that and even movie nerds kept conflating that on Twitter this week. And it is motion smoothing is not the same thing as like 
making something for a high frame rate, right? I, so I most, agree that it's not yeah, the same yeah. thing, and I, I it is similar. More clear, but it, it looks certainly similar. looks yes, the, it's the right, same right, right. feel. It's the same. If you, feel. If you want a touchstone point to right, understand right, right. how it looks, that's that a is a bad touchstone point. That that is like that. that that's know. not. Yeah, that's unfortunately, I guess, not the best way to sell bad, it. Bad, but, but accurate. I would say. Bad, but I mean, maybe I, accurate. So motion smoothing interpolates up to those higher, you know, refresh rates or higher frame rates uh, from 24 or from 30. So yeah. it's it's fake frames. It's it's fake frames, whereas shooting at 120 FPS is they're actually shooting all those frames Yeah. Uh, versus like creating them, which is what your TV does when it uh, it comes home from the store with motion smoothing on. But uh, I think the feel is the same. It feels very soap opera-ish. It feels very YouTube video-ish. Uh, and for many people, including myself, it has the effect of kind of ripping you sure. out of the film, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, for me, I could not separate the idea of this high frame rate thing from watching the movie. Like, I, I could never forget that I was watching something that is in a right, fundamentally right. different display format than a normal film that I would watch. Well, I think that it is, uh, for me, my experience with it is that it is hyper real. Until yes. it is hyper unreal. It is, it looks like you're looking out a window until the camera moves. And once the camera moves, now it looks totally fake and completely uh, staged. I mean, simple things like, like um, there's a sequence where somebody gets their head knocked through a, a window a couple of times and it's a breakaway window. I've never watched an action sequence and gone, <laughs> that's a breakaway window. But in in that resolution, at that frame rate, you go, oh my God, that's the fakest breakaway window I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, And I'm sure it, it didn't use anything less high quality right, than right. any other movie. It's the it is, format exposes that. It's like the jump to HD, right? Like when all the late night sets had to give up their like cardboard desks and cardboard like backgrounds, right? You had to, to have a real set. You had to have like, you know, real wood and a real set. Uh, it is similar to that. Uh, I want to hear more about what you guys think, but I will say, like, there are benefits to doing this. And the main thing is you kind of reduce the the jittering effect that you get with film and, you know, uh, for some action sequences. So if the camera is panning left to right during an action sequence, um, look closely. It, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look yeah. smooth. And I he think a lot of film. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I think Devendra no, no, no. is saying in, in a normal film oh, that's 24 frames He's per second. He's doing that on purpose because in this movie you can actually do it clearly. And Jeff, to you, it may seem like it may seem wrong, right? Because movies aren't supposed to look like that. It does look a little fake when you're doing that because I don't know how much of this is just our brains in rejecting the sort of like film, the nature of film that we've you know absorbed for so long. It is a tough thing. Uh, I just I think it's really interesting. I really I was blown away by a lot of the action. There's a motorcycle chase in this movie where I felt like I was on Will Smith's back. Like I was I was just riding alongside him going through these narrow streets in like uh, was it Cuba or somewhere in South America? I think it was Colombia. Um, but it just felt it felt really visceral in a way that I can't remember feeling in a chase sequence for a very long time. But yeah, there are certainly downsides, I think. Your brain has to get used to this. If you're not seeing it in the best presentation to you, I, ca- I can't say what the 60 FPS version looks like. And I will say, like, we reviewed the uh, the 40 FPS high frame rate Hobbit movies, and it looked like garbage because Peter Jackson didn't do anything to change his, um, his filmmaking to adapt to the new style, right? So Gandalf's robes looked terrible. Like, everything just looked really fake and bad. 
I think this movie makes some concessions towards trying to develop a new filmmaking language, but it's rough. Like, it's rough. I wish this was attached to maybe a better quality movie, even though there are things I kind of liked about this. I think Ang Lee gets a great performance out of Will Smith. Uh, probably one of the best performances I've seen from him in a while. Um, as, a, as, as a spy action movie, there is some cool ass stuff in here that, you know, I, I would enjoy watching on like, you know, Saturday afternoon on HBO or something, but probably not more than that. Uh, so I, I think, Devinder, you're getting at what the objective of doing this is, right? The, yes. the objective is, hey, you're just looking through a gigantic window on the side of your movie theater, right? Like you're looking at, through a window into another world. Like it's supposed to be hyper-realistic. That's why mm-hmm. you would do something like this. And I do agree that uh, on certain sequences, it actually does come alive and it looks pretty great. The motorcycle sequence, that's the first moment in the movie where I thought, oh, I get it. I, I understand why he did it this way now. You know, like it looks so good. It's such a unique experience that it almost justifies it. Um, right. We have a lot more thoughts on the movie. But before we get to that, you know, if you've enjoyed hearing this extremely geeky talk about watching movies in the 120 FPS 4K 3D, I think you'd enjoy a lot of content from our first sponsor. Devinder, you want to tell people about Eight Hours? Sure. Yes. Uh, eight Hours is a new platform bringing you hand-picked and exclusive videos on film and television. Eight Hours has curated over 5,000 videos into a free and easy resource for filmmakers and film lovers to learn their craft and get inspired. Now they're partnering with filmmakers and film professors to make unique, original videos from their perspectives, uncovering fascinating aspects of technique, film history, and what inspires the creative decision-making process. All the choices that went into your favorite films. In their first round of videos, writer-director David Lowry explains how Michael Mann's heat inspired a scene in his crime comedy, The Old Man and the Gun. Professor Noah Eisenberg connects aspects of Billy Wilder's personal experience to his screwball comedy, Some Like It Hot. And cinematographer Eric Lynn demonstrates how vintage lenses helped him create a unique look for his 2018 Sundance favorite, Hearts Beat Loud. Eight Hours wants to do their part to help connect the next generation of filmmakers with the resources they need to express their creativity through visual storytelling. And the best part is it's all free. So what are you waiting for? Start watching today at 8hours.com. Check them out at 8hours.com. That's the numeral 8, H-O-U-R-S.com. That's the numeral 8, H-O-U-R-S.com. Thanks to 8 Hours for sponsoring this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Gemini Man? Well, Dave, (laughs) I guess you could say my thoughts about Gemini Man are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Excellent. And... (sighs) There is a perspective that this limerick could be the tiniest bit spoilery. Uh, I think it's very oblique. It's very (laughs) oblique. Uh, But should you be worried about that for this movie, which, side note, you shouldn't be for this movie. (laughs) But in case you are, I want to give you fair warning, fair time to do the 15-second skip because it's just a limerick. This is a Uh, limey limerick. Yes. Yes. Okay. Ready? Here we go. Be a little spoilery. I don't know if this twist was planned because the dialogue is horribly bland, but young Will Smith is still cursed with parents that just don't understand. Mm. Oh, deep going deep there on that one. Going the poignancy on that one, Jeff. See, thanks. See, he's trying to get away from it, but he's still young Will Smith. You know, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Um, I think this is a bad movie. Yeah. I think this is a bad movie. Um, 
Uh, and it's an unfortunate because, as Devendra clearly stated, uh, there's a lot of awesome talent uh, that is brought to bear on this movie. A lot of amazing technology. I am also somebody that loves tech and loves the idea of pushing the medium forward and going for it. This is a bad movie, in my opinion. Um, and I was looking through Will Smith's filmography. When was the last time Will Smith was in a good movie? <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. It's been a long time. Maybe seven pounds? No. 2008? Have you seen seven pounds? I thought it was all right. I mean, Uh, uh, you know. So Hancock, here we go, 2008. Hancock, I Am Legend, 2007. Hancock, seven pounds. Men in Black 3, After Earth, Focus, Concussion, Suicide Squad, Bright, Aladdin, so a couple couple things, Gemini man. C- couple things, Jeff. Uh, wow, hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on Aladdin this summer, and you got to yeah. think that at least some of those people thought that that movie was good. Uh, I'm saying what you guys think. No, no right. one on this Concussion. podcast, but some, right. so, and I, let me just say, I think Focus is great. I really like uh, that movie. It's yes. not a movie that I would think like uh, it, it's not like one of my best movies of all time or anything yeah. like that. But I have watched that movie probably like three or four times. I really enjoy it. I like kind of confidence man movies and uh, I think that's a great version of it. He has great chemistry with Margot Robbie. Focus deserves a re-examination. I feel like that's one of those movies that kind of came and everyone was like, "Uh, I I guess Will Smith made a movie with Margot Robbie that nobody saw. I guess that's how it went. I mean, nobody other than the, you know, $160 million worth of tickets that it sold. But I think it is a show. I think actually I give it a fairly decent review as well. So, yeah, Yeah. I think you're right. But still not. I I love Will Smith. But, man, he is not. If you had a batting average, it would not be great. He would not be batting cleanup, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Well, in the last 10 years, at least. And if you exclude focus, which we've all agreed is really good. But yes. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. A batting average, one hit after ten at bats over the last ten years, I don't think is a good batting average. Uh, also, but, 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 but I, Jeff, I remember liking Men in Black Three. I will, I will come to bat for that movie, which was fun. I mean, bef- before I let you get away with that, Jeff. I mean, I think that Will Smith has starred in some of the movies that have like defined our our era, or at least I love Will Smith. Many of our not, childhoods, right? Like we love Will Smith. Yeah, you don't need to jump in front of a bullet for Will Smith. I okay. love Will Smith. I'm okay. saying lately. Yes. Buddy, lately, Will Smith. lately, Come that's on. fine. That's fine. Okay. Um. Anyway, all of that is to say, uh, this movie uh, is is just a train wreck in in my opinion. I, I he, you said the 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 premise of this movie, which is old Will Smith, young Will Smith. I am down to see that. Now, having said that, we talked a few weeks ago when Davinja brought it up that. Don't pick the guy who doesn't seem to age to show you how crazy, the, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the, you could. I love this guy. Again, I love Will Smith. I'm not trying to say he sh- he's miscast. I'm, I am saying, though, that you're, the whole point of the movie is to show this great, you know, distinction between the old and the young. Yeah, there are actors that look like they've aged a lot more. You got to you got to start with an easy project, Jeff. That's how this works, right? Yeah, like I prove guess. it's possible with uh, somebody who's barely aged. <laughs> OK, so anyway, but. That's the premise. Old Will Smith versus young Will Smith. I think that's an awesome idea. That is a very cool premise. I am down to see that. Every poster for this movie is the two of them staring at each other. That is what gets people in the door. That's not even, to me, that's not even a spoiler. I'm super averse to spoilers. That's not even a spoiler. That's the premise of the movie. movie. It's called Why do we spend 40 minutes before that happens? (laughs) Why do we spend 40 minutes 
doing stuff that nobody cares about before young Will Smith shows up. There's no reason to have an entire action sequence before Will Smith shows up. There has to be, the movie should start with that motorcycle sequence. That should be the first action sequence of the movie. And now we're off. And he's like, what, who is this young Will Smith? Why does that happen 40 minutes into the movie before? I, we I, ever... will, I will say Jeff, like I, I get what you're saying, but it sounds like you want to watch the version of Jaws where the shark is there and you see it right up front at the beginning of the movie. I do think this Jaws is not a great this is not a great movie, but Jaws I think the about setup the Jaws isn't about the shark. It's about the people. The, I okay, okay, about, okay. I would argue this movie is not as much about that rivalry as it is about this older assassin coming to terms with the life of regret he's left. He's led, basically. And that is that is what that whole setup is. I actually kind of dug that. It reminds me of like all the all the hitman movies I, I kind of like, like Leon the Professional and The Killer, you know, like there there's a certain sadness to him in this performance. So that is the setup. I understand if you want to see just Will Smith fight Will Smith, you will have to wait a little for that. But I think the decision to to make that worthwhile, because that's we'll get into this in spoilers. But like the whole the whole point of this movie really is him kind of reconciling with his past and uh, figuring out a way forward for maybe somebody who is just like him. Everything that happens, yeah. everything that happens before that motorcycle sequence is absolutely disposable in this movie. There and all of the dialogue, oh all of the dialogue that happens up to that point is asinine. Like the entire introduction, uh, they throw a, a a token female into the movie uh, up to that point, and it makes absolutely no sense. It's totally shoehorning her in. Where they could have, she's an awesome character. She kicks butt. She's cool. That that all could have happened organically out of the crisis. Also, all of that first forty minutes of the movie sets up a some sort of a premise that is absolutely abandoned. There's some scientist that is doing a thing that we have to be worried about for some reason, and the movie goes, <laughs> "Oh wait, young Will Smith is here. Forget about all that nonsense. No one cares anymore." It's like, yes, no, you're right. I never cared because you don't care in the movie. It's a complete non-starter. It doesn't make any, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's just bad screenwriting all the way around. All the dialogue is clunky and bad. I, you know, there are some, yes, there are some cool action ideas here. That, that, but, that, that this movie opens with, I think one of the craziest hitman sequences I've seen. I don't know if it's executed very well, but the idea of it, I, I don't know, is cool. Like I, I like that setup. That's all. There is nothing expressed. In, yeah, I like the setup as well. The idea yes. of having to pull off that sniper shot. A, yes. A, he's established as being an amazing sniper and then never snipes anything ever again in the entire movie. <laughs> B, uh, the, 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 the technical difficulty of that shot is only ever told to us. It is never shown. We've never seen how, how we, we look through his, his viewfinder and he's like tracking that train exactly perfectly. It's like, that seems hard, but the movie doesn't care to tell me or show me how hard it is. They just Does keep... the movie have to explain fast-moving trains to you, Jeff? I will, I will say, come on, come on. Zidra. I'm not saying it needs to explain. I'm saying show me why this is cool. Don't tell me that it is cool. After right, right, right. that sequence, we get four people going, that was the hardest shot I've ever seen. How did you possibly do that? You know how hard that shot was? You're amazing. It's like, It no. does feel like there was a weird abrupt cut for like, I don't know violence or gore or something like it does cut away from like what is supposed to happen there this is a bad movie made by very talented people and it's very disappointing yeah, yeah. that's that's my premise 
So I have no issue with the opening 40 minutes. I agree there's some stuff that's completely disposable, but uh, as Devendra put it, I think it's actually cool when you have uh, character development that occurs before like the main uh, plot uh, lights up, you know? Uh, Great example. Obviously, one of the canonical examples, Die Hard, is like what, 40 minutes happens before any action even begins. So I'm mm-hmm. like totally cool with like having a, a big interlude, or not interlude, but like a big section at the beginning where uh, you're just learning more about Will Smith and his life. To me, the film's biggest sin is it completely squanders this premise of him meeting his younger self, right? Yes. Because yeah. you'd think right. that there are all these questions you could answer about, like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have a soul? Uh, what are the implications of having, like, a younger version of you, but, like, with completely different set of experiences that you had growing up? You know, like, what, all this stuff. And, like, and then... And then uh, how yeah, the, the would whole, you like nature, nature versus nurture issue could have been really fascinating. Nature versus just... nurture. It's, it's also that like, Hey, if you're an old hitman filled with regret, like what, how, we, what, how would you interact with this person who didn't have all that regret? How would you try to guide them? You know, all these things uh, about like, uh, how you would try to have them avoid the mistakes that you made or, or shape their life. And so, and, uh, Basically, none of that happened. Like, there's a very would, little bit of that happens during the course. Again, of the movie. spoiler talk. I would argue that that is the movie. That is precisely the movie. But I have to, I have to talk specifics to, I guess, do that. Uh, we will talk specifics, and I'm looking forward to it. But I want to be on record in saying that I'm not opposed to the idea of taking a while to get to your pre- premise in general. Please don't put me in that hole to say, oh, <laughs> somehow Die Hard is bad because I knew he was going to have to fight his way out of the building and we didn't get to that for a while. <laughs> I, I love Die Hard, by the way. I think it's a perfect action movie. But um, I'm saying in this particular case, this movie does abs- – it spins its wheels in, in a way that wastes my time until it gets to the thing where it is mildly interesting and then it squanders even that. But if – it could have still established all of the things it intends to establish after putting our character in a much more interesting dilemma instead of manufacturing a dilemma that it completely abandons. It's like, oh, you got one last job and it's, you know, this guy is who is he was set up as being the the scientist and he's not actually the scientist. And then the movie just doesn't care about any of that anymore. Yeah, uh, and in in addition to that, I have to say I did not think that the de-aging technology looked good in this film. There mm-hmm. were some scenes where I was convinced, oh, hey, that's young Will Smith. But I would say probably 80% of the scenes I was unconvinced. It yeah. did not. For some reason, a, the very end a, of the movie is the worst. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're like ran out of money and they're like, yeah, I don't it. know what happened. Uh, the <laughs> simulation is breaking down. <laughs> isn't it a misnomer to say it's de-aging technology, though? Isn't it's it? It's not isn't, de-aging. Like, yeah. they, it's a completely CG character. So it's not like what right. they did to, you know, uh, what the, Robert Downey in the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not like that at all. It is basically Golem remade yeah. as Will Smith. Uh, which is interesting because Will Smith is not play- like they're taking some aspects from his performance, but he didn't play the character in every single scene. So there, well, whatever you want to call it, I, I, what you know, you can call it a different thing. You know, Devendra, right. you can make the distinction that it's not it's not motion smoothing. You know, it's not de-aging. But we've basically seen those things in the world. And uh, I have seen young Michelle Pfeiffer in Ant-Man versus the Wasp. I have seen young Kurt Russell. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. You know, attack ships off the coast, whatever. Anyway, uh, point being, like, we've already seen 
people being made younger in movies convincingly. And to then have this in a movie that comes out after those films, however they did it, whatever tools they used, it didn't pull off the effect convincingly. Well, you'll certainly, like, look at uh, Captain Marvel, right? And young Samuel L. Jackson does not run like young young Samuel L. Jackson. Like, he barely moves in that movie, and you can kind of tell. Whereas in this one, it's like, they, they can have this character do things that certainly, I think, older Will Smith couldn't pull off. Uh, there's more we could talk about in terms of the action, because I think one cool thing they did by having this completely virtual uh, virtual creation, they could really uh, there's some hand to hand fight sequences. They get really up close and dirty in a way that we don't really see in movies. Right. They they don't do Not the sort the of early man fight. fight. Have we? Yes. Yes. Not, not since Captain America fought himself in Endgame. Have we seen anything as, I mean, well, that was just like five months ago. But, but I, I, you know, I did not find the effects to be convincing, and that's also a, a huge problem. However, as I indicated, uh, and, and I agree with basically everything you said, Jeff. I think this is a super clunky film uh, that completely squanders its premise and b- by the end is kind of a mess um, in terms of plotting, in terms of themes. Uh, I just think it doesn't really know what it wants to be. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded in some ways of like Robert Zemeckis, uh, towards, you know, during his, uh, CG experimental phase where like the technology became more intoxicating to him than the storytelling it felt to me at times. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing with, um, uh, who's another director that like is heavy into the tech, but like Coppola, uh, yeah, Coppola or arguably James. George Lucas, arguably oh, James, Gan- you, know, you know, like this, this feels like a more of a tech demo than a, uh, a, a great film. And I think the storytelling is where it falls down. Um, much more to say before we get to it, though. Let's thank our second sponsor for today. Candid Company. Jeff, you have uh, some thoughts about Candid? I do. Uh, my wife, honestly, is the one that should be talking now because she is absolutely over the moon with Candid. She loves it. You know, the holidays are coming up. We all want to, we're going to take a lot of pictures. We're all going to be smiling in our photos and we want a nice smile. My wife, uh, who is gorgeous and amazing, has always been a little self-conscious about her smile uh, because her teeth on the bottom, she just doesn't like how they've they've been. So she has been using Candid. She just got her at-home kit aligners that Candid Co. Uh, does. Uh, Candid Co. aligners straighten your teeth faster than traditional wire braces, which is pretty amazing. The treatment takes just six months on average. So my wife got this at-home kit, uh, which, by the way, an experienced orthodontist who is licensed in your state creates the custom treatment plan for you. And then they show you a 3D preview so that you can see how your teeth will look after you're done. So she got this kit. She had some, uh, when she was a, a little kid, she had some some of these kind of things as well back in the old days when they didn't have this awesome technology they have now. She talked about how uncomfortable it was back then, how it tasted weird in the mouth. None of that with this candid aligner kit. She did it all herself. It comes with this really cool app or you know video that, that takes you step by step through the process. She said it could not have been easier. Um, you take pictures of the inside of your mouth. You do the aligners. You, you get it all sent. You send it back to them, and then they send you your stuff. It is awesome. She's going to have a photo ready smile now in just six months. She's going to be excited. Um, 
And we're going to, you know, keep checking in with her and see how it, the process goes. But she just did the first step, which she said, I, I literally just went in and asked her about this uh, to make sure I got it right. She said, oh, my gosh, it was the easiest thing. I'm so happy. She's been wanting to do this for literally years. And we finally got the chance to do it with Candid Co. So uh, she's going to have a photo ready smile. You can, too. Go to CandidCO.com slash filmcast. And use code FILMCAST to get $75 off. That's CandidCO.com slash FILMCAST. Code FILMCAST for $75 off. Wow. CandidCO.com slash FILMCAST. Code FILMCAST. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Thanks to Candid for sponsoring us this episode. Thanks also to all of our donors this week. We've got a bunch of donors that uh, uh, sponsored us for this or uh, supported us by throwing some cash our way. Thanks to Mark Crilly, a longtime supporter and donor, really big fan of Mark's. Uh, thanks, Mark, for your generous donation. And thanks to Lorraine Boissonneau, 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 who writes in, 13 years ago, I started dating a guy who loves movies way more than I did. Eventually, and with the help of incisive commentary from the Slash Filmcast, he brought me around. Thanks for all the great reviews and limericks, and happy anniversary, Kevin. Yay, happy I, anniversary. I was very touched by that message, the, the yeah. idea that we've been with, these, uh, with people who have been listening to us for over a decade. Um, but uh, glad that you chose us, Lorraine, to celebrate your anniversary with Kevin. Uh, thanks to Alexander Wallace, who writes in, I have a message for Slash Filmcast listeners. You know Jeff, he's great, but you simply don't know the full extent of Jeff's powers until you've experienced a dungeon run. Whoa. Seriously, give it a try. Even if you have zero interest in D&D, the storytelling and performances will, bro will blow your socks off. So you wow. got a dungeon run fan right there. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Alexander. That's amazing. I'm yeah. so heartened by that. Thank you very, very much. I, I uh, agree that you should try the dungeon run. Listen to Alexander. Don't listen. Don't take my word for it. Listen <laughs> to this very wise filmcast listener. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Sullivan writes, Hey, Slash Filmcast crew, longtime listener, happy to be able to make a donation to help continue to fuel your movie going. Uh, sending along a longer note via email, but wanted to drop this here. Uh, so that's Chris from Portland. And uh, Chris, I was waiting for that longer email. It never arrived. So uh, I don't know what you were going to say, but if you have something to say... I didn't get it, so try sending it via a different way or tweet at me or whatever, um, but thanks for the donation. And Dylan G, also from Portland, writes in, thank you, Jeff Devendra, and that one other guy for all you do and all you put into this crazy venture that brings so much joy to so many. P.S. I just heard Jeff lives across from a movie theater. Did you guys know that? Um, yeah, it's Dylan true. apparently listening to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, so. he must have heard it here, yeah. And David Robson from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada writes and keep up the great work. Thanks to everyone Saskatoon! for Saskatoon! Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Thanks to everyone for donating. We really appreciate it. And if you are wanting to donate and support us, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page at slashfilm.com on the slash filmcast tab. Uh, uh, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you any hardship. But if you do have some extra cash, please throw it our way. And also... Uh, if you want to support us for no money, the best way to do that, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for us. Uh, it really does help a lot uh, because there are a ton of movie podcasts out there. So if you leave a review or even a star rating takes just a few seconds. Uh, all right. Thanks to everyone for donating. Thanks to all of you for your star ratings. Let's move on to spoilers for Gemini Man starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled.
So, Devendra, you're talking about how some of the hand-to-hand fight sequences are really good. There is one yes. kind of centerpiece fight in the catacombs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, it, yeah, I think it was genuinely impressive that you had, you know, older Will Smith and younger Will Smith fighting each other. The lighting was yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just... It's not just that they were fighting. It's like they were kind of it was almost like uh, what do you call it? Like a the ultimate fighting championship. Like it was up front. Like it was very there was a lot of grappling. It was really dirty, which I think was uh, was kind of fascinating. And they were able to do that to do that because, you know, Junior is a CG creature, right? So they can make Will Smith's punches look like they're actually hitting this thing directly um as junior's like getting dragged along the floor or something i think this happens to will smith too like they can make it look really real and impactful so it's not like stage fighting it's not like the choreography we're used to right where somebody you know throws a punch at an angle and somebody reacts to it there's a visceralness to it that i found kind of interesting um yeah i think it's worth pointing that out that's all yeah i i think we're used to a certain cinematic language when we see Two characters played by the same actor on screen, right? Yeah. Uh, we're used to, like, for the longest time, there would be, like, a, a line in the center of the screen that the actor could never cross uh, because you know that they would, like, film the actor on one side of the set and then on the other oh, side man. and they combine what them. What was the, the Jackie Chan movie? Where was, was it? Um, I forget the name of that. But there was one where he has a twin and they basically did the lowest budget uh, twin effects. Tw- twin dragons. Really fun. Twin dragons. Twin dragons. So there, I remember there's a scene like a bathroom in a hotel or something where like you can just see the cut. You can see like <laughs> where they cut between half of the frame and one frame is static. Uh, it's it's hilarious. So, yeah, we've come a long way, I'd say. We, we come, and, and then like so, so then uh, then after that came like motion control, right, where you could basically what, what you could do is you could do the same camera movement Um uh, like you could reshoot uh, a scene and right. do the same exact camera movement over and over again, right? And then you'd shoot the scene one way with one camera movement and then shoot the scene. So basically, like, it, be- it got more and more sophisticated as time went on. Like, you could... Now it wasn't just, like, a static shot. You could have, like, a moving camera shot uh, with one actor, two characters. Uh, and then eventually, you know, you have, like, CG creations uh, that you can do anything with. And I think that Will Smith hand-to-hand fight is, like, the ultimate culmination of what you're talking about, right? Is like, hey, mm-hmm. this these camera movements feel really unpredictable. Like, we don't even... It, 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 maybe they didn't even plan it out in advance. Like, they could have just got there on set. It looked like they shot it, like, on the fly. Um, and that's to the film's credit. So uh, there is some genuinely great stuff in this movie uh, from a visual perspective, I agree. And hey, yeah, let's that... say uh, you guys brought up the lighting of that scene, too. I think that was really interesting. And that is one of those different things uh, they had to think about when they were filming in this format because lighting just works completely differently, right? When things are so smooth and you're capturing the, the reality of the scene. If you'll remember the Hobbit movies, every every set, every everything indoors looked terrible because they were lighting it like an old movie. And this one kind of uses, I think uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character has a gun with a light on it. And she kind of used that to, to like highlight some of the bits <laughs> there, there. There's like, it's really kind of creative in that way. But yeah, I'm, I'm really appreciating this movie just on a technical level. I, I totally will agree with you guys. It's not, it's not great. Although I did find things to like about it. So Mary Elizabeth Winstead, by the way, yeah. uh, the plan was that she would get a job at, <laughs> the boat rental place mm-hmm. and work there inside that little kiosk so that she could see Will Smith for the minute and a half it took for him to rent a boat. And that's how she was going to keep tabs on him <laughs> for the rest of 
his life. Yeah, there's probably a lot more going on there, Jeff. Uh, spies have all this tech where they can like you know surveil mm-hmm. things. They can listen. Like yeah, Je- I, Je- yeah, I, I, yeah, Jeff. Yeah. I feel like you're you're kind of ridiculing the things of this movie that like don't even deser- deserve the most scorn, in my opinion. Yes. For me, <laughs> the last like thirty minutes of this movie from a storytelling perspective, is a disaster. Like it's not disaster, the first yeah. 30 minutes, the middle 30 minutes, and the last 30, all of the minutes are a disaster from a storytelling perspective. I'm I'm trying to point out that like nothing makes any sense in this movie. If you It, it doesn't hold up to the tiniest bit of scrutiny. Um, well, let, I mean, let's, let's talk about the last 30 minutes, Jeff, because I think there's sure. plenty of meat on that bone. Uh, like we, we find out so many things in the last 30 minutes. Like number one, Clive Owen apparently raised Will Smith as his, like young Will Smith as his son, because he wanted a version of older Will Smith that didn't have the trauma of young Will Smith. Like his theory of child development was, hey, this like hardened killer, if I can raise a version of him where he has a dad, uh, then he's going to be even better. That's, that is Clive Owen's theory. Let's see if this works in 20 years. Th- but that also, is, there was re- one additional one. There was also one additional <laughs> oh, dude, one. Dude, I'm getting to that, man. I didn't even get <laughs> yeah, to that yeah. yet, okay? So let me just say that plan is dumb on its face. Like, <laughs> if you even read a single child psychology textbook, I think you would realize, like, hey, just because you uh, give this guy a dad, that doesn't necessarily solve all his problems. Not to also, mention you're still training him to murder people. Like, maybe also, it's the murder that is the uh, problem <laughs> with Will Smith, not whether or not he had a dad. You know, <laughs> look to the left, look to the right. If you don't see the problem, it's the murdering. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the other thing is, as someone who you know, not too long ago became a dad for the first time, uh, imagine that day where he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise this kid to be the ultimate super soldier. That'll be awesome. And then, like eight months in, he's like, oh man, this is. I still got to be a dad. This is like, he's, he's, he's an eight month old. He's not an awesome killer yet. He's just a annoying, mewling eight month old that I have to deal with. And then there's like, Jeff, Jeff, he's Clive Owen in a stately Georgia mansion. He has, he has people for that. You think he had people? He, he has uh, people. He has I guess help. That's true. He has government help. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say I like, I, I found the Georgianness of this movie kind of hilarious because at one point they're in like, is it Eastern Europe? And they're like, I guess we got to go back to Atlanta. Because that's where our tax credits are. So yeah. back to Atlanta, guys. <laughs> so then then the final act of the movie. I mean, first of all, there is one genuinely impressive shot when, you know, Clive Owen's like, get that guy. And this this character who you don't know yet yeah. does this amazing parkour, parkour in one parkour. long continuous shot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a badass character. But also, who is this person that we've never met before? Like, mm-hmm. pretty, it's pretty late movie to be introducing a major character at this point. I, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I hope it's anything but what it actually turned out to be. I like, <laughs> I would love it to be literally anything, like any other character. If it's, is it Mary Elizabeth Winstead clone? Is it like an even older Will Smith so that our Will Smith was a clone right. as well? A Clive clone? A Clive Owen clone? Clive yeah. clone? Literally yeah. anything other than just. Yeah, another one. <laughs> well, and, and also, how how does that make any sense whatsoever? I, like, I, I, I like, would say I found that that was that at least implied like there there could be an army of these. No, things, right? but he then they specifically one. explicitly say, "Well, I got word that that's the only other one." Like, they literally <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. come out at the end of the movie and go, "Man, at uh, the end, so, at the end they do yeah, say, I got, yeah, I got that, news.'" That, 
I, the movie would have been better if they didn't even like say that. It's just like, hey, there's another one. That's weird. That's yes. weird. It, it felt like they ADR'd in that line to give it a, yes. a, a nice ending, right? Um, but also, like, so did Clive Owen raise these kids in parallel where they didn't know each I, other? I think he raised one in like the no father <laughs> test. And then Junior is the one with a father test. And it's like, got to put them against each other. See which clone is better. Well, none of, you, you, none of that is in the movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm answering Dave's question. It okay. That's all I'm doing. Introduces that character. Someone <laughs> asks the character a question in its dying moments. The character has no last words and dies. It is the most insane. Like <laughs> it plays like it's a big reveal, but then it's like, you just gave us absolutely no information. <laughs> I, will, I will say the, I think the, the symbolism of that is like, literally showing junior like what his future could be right if he's he because he he just had like a change of heart right he basically turned on his team and then he flipped again on his dad so that it is that moral quandary that the movie is kind of wrestling with but yeah i don't think it should be a big surprise reveal probably not the best way to do it i think i I think i knew the movie was completely off the rails when will smith goes up to mary elizabeth winsley character and says you're you've been a great partner and i'm like was that ever in question what was her arc supposed to be in this film like did she did, was it mentioned that she was a bad partner at some point you, you know like because that's that's her arc she's like hey like she didn't even give this the monologue speech where she's like hey you know uh one day i was in you know kuwait with someone and i let my partner die you know so something like where it was like it would have set up that, hey, this character needs to redeem herself. And that that moment would have been like, hey, you've been a good partner. You you have redeemed yourself. This is the end of your arc. None of that happens. None right? of that. Yeah. My favorite moment, by the way, is uh, <laughs> we you've just killed 400 people. Don't kill you your dad. You brought a tank onto the city streets. Yes. Yeah, you killed all of those people have families. All of them. They are they are all somebody's <laughs> brother or dad or son or daughter. You murdered them all. In fact, I just used my last bullet to shoot two of them in the head in one shot. Not caring one whit about who they are or where they come from. But if you kill your dad right now. It will change you forever, and you'll never be able to deal with that torment. Watching your dad die in front of you, you'll never be able to handle that. Okay, you're not going to do it? All right, I just did it. Right in front of you for no reason. I was like, you just talked him out of doing that so that you could do it in front of him? Well, it it wasn't the trauma of seeing the dad. I think it was the act of killing the dad, but I agree the distinction is very slight. The, it it seems like that was going is, in one direction and then it went in a very different direction very quickly. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> yes. The idea that there's somehow a big line of, of, of <laughs> distinction between the trauma of pulling the trigger and the trauma of watching the trigger pulled is hilarious. Hey man, I've seen plenty of action movies and this is, it's a thing according yeah. to every seventies action movie. I think uh, I, I will say it is, uh, this movie does like the touch of the minority report thing where like Clive Owen's character is like, kind maybe has a point. Like maybe, maybe we should have people who don't have families out there kind of fighting the wars and kind of doing things. Uh, but then yes, you have to wrestle with the moral, uh, quandary of it. I guess this movie does end in the way minority report ends where like, well, this program is shut down. Um, all those soldiers going to war, uh, their families are going to miss them. It's gonna, it's gonna suck. The end of Gemini Man. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like I saw that in a movie called Universal Soldier in 1991. Indeed, but, you know. Indeed. Or my narrator for it. Yeah. 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 I, I will say the thing I hated most about this movie is the uh, the very, very last, very final scene where the junior effect seems like, yeah, they just they, they couldn't render it. <laughs> they, just they just gave up. They just gave up. Yeah. The computer was like done with it. But also... <laughs> It's it is I I could I kind of liked how sweet the movie was kind of throughout, but that was such a just like a cloying, sweet, sentimental ending that it doesn't feel like the movie deserved at all. But I don't know. They they couldn't resist. They needed to have him make a joke about talking to himself. You know, they're like, I just can't fit that line in anywhere else. We don't need the sitcom ending. Right. It's the ending to a sitcom season. Uh, between the father and son, I, mean, I will it, say it literally yeah, yeah. is. Parents just don't understand. That's parents what it's just like... don't understand. Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to mention, though, I did find like parts of this movie kind of sweet in a weird way. Like I like the friendship between Benedict Guang and Will Smith's characters. Uh, I really liked as soon as Will Smith kind of understood who Junior was and kind of what was happening. It was an immediate, like almost like a fatherly reaction to it, wherein like he was never. At that point, he was never trying to kill Junior. Like, he put himself in a lot of situations where, like, Junior could have killed him easily, um, where his entire goal was to, like, okay, I'm going to, if I can't save myself, I'm going to save this kid. And that is the movie. That's kind of why he does that. So I, I think the movie at least wrestles with that a bit. Does it seem weird that there was a lot of scenes where all three of them are in robes for no reason <laughs> at all? I mean, like, what do you, what do you never, never, never turned down a good robe, Jeff. Come There's on. like three scenes where they're all just in robes in like uh, hotel white hotel robes <laughs> for no reason. Here, here's the thing that was weird to me was I feel like it took them both a little bit too long to figure out that they're the same person. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. young, young Will Smith, I can see because like, I could see you right. not if you're an old if you're like a young person and you saw an older version of yourself, you might not immediately recognize them. Right. Like that makes sense to me. But old Will Smith would know what his younger <laughs> self looks like. You know sure. what I mean? So like when it's revealed to him, hey, by the way, that's you. It's not like, oh my God. You know, like it's like a shock almost, but I don't know. It, it just yeah. felt like it took them a little too long to put that together. Uh, and the, the monologue <laughs> about, uh, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you think this and you, uh, you're, you hate cilantro and all that stuff. It's like, Pretty sure none of that is how science works. I don't think that just because you have the same DNA, you have the same dreams. I don't think that's how well. It's. It, any of... I mean, the movie's clearly coming out on a on a nature uh, instead of nurture side of things, right? You know, like, uh, I mean, the 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 movie's not more coherent about its point in that regard, but <laughs> but I, it's saying like, hey, there's something inherent. I, I got the impression there's something inherent in all of like your in your DNA in your humanity that like makes you you that you cannot separate even if you were to like move you to another place um, or be raised by Clive Owen, for instance. So yeah. Anyway, it's pretty incoherent movie thematically. Uh, some of the action looks great. It's an interesting experiment in technology. But ultimately, I think it uh, can only be called an interesting failure at best, uh, which is a shame because I think Ang Lee is really talented. I mean, the dude mm-hmm. has made, in my opinion, some of the best movies of all time, right? I agree. Yeah, I, mean, I agree, dude. I, 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 agree. I will say I spent 30 minutes talking to Ang Lee on the phone last week. So that was a cool, geeky conversation. Um, but I did straight up ask him, like, dude, why are you doing this? You've You've won... <laughs> several oscars right you don't need to do these crazy experiments and he's like um i'm curious 
that's it. That's his answer. And even as we were talking and even during like the round table, like he had no clue, like if this movie really works as like an entertaining movie. Right. He was like, I, I hope you like it. He's very like self-deprecating about it. So this is one of those things. Um, I don't know if this movie is bombing or how badly it's doing at all, but I think I want to see more experiments like this in high frame rate. Uh, I don't want it to replace everything, but I think it definitely it has a role. And one thing that's really cool about this tech is that right now you can really only see in theaters. So sort of like the full IMAX presentation of a Nolan movie. Yeah, you can't get that at home, no matter how great your theater is. I wonder if the Blu-ray will have like 60 FPS, though. It'll probably will. So the Billy Lynn Blu-ray, which I own, I spent $35 for that Blu-ray because I knew that thing would just like disappear off the face of the earth. Uh, (laughs) It has a 4K 60 FPS uh, cut of the movie and it has a separate it has a blu-ray standard 1080p blu-ray 3d cut there is no way to get 4k and 3d together which is like you know the full impact of the movie so yeah it's uh at best you'll get 4k 60 fps at home my favorite thing about this movie <laughs> is that there are several shots that where the camera dips underwater mm-hmm. and in this format in 3d yeah it is extraordinary and I go, oh my God, Avatar 2 is going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll see about that. In any case, uh, that's going to bring us into this week's episode of the podcast. You can find more episodes at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsors for today, 8 Hours and Candid Co. And also uh, thanks to Baby Zhang, who edited this episode of the show. Thanks to Kyle Hillinger for producing the spoiler bumper, as well as AdamWarrock.com for making the uh, theme song for the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned here. We'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can you find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And you should definitely listen to our friend Alexander Wallace, who told you I do the dungeon run, which he says, even you know, even if you have zero interest in Dungeons & Dragons, the storytelling and performances will blow your socks off. Listen to that it's completely unsolicited review. Um, I do a show called The Dungeon Run. And it is a Dungeons & Dragons live play show. uh, And I'm very proud of it. You should check it out. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can find it as a podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch it live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific on caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. How about you, Devendra? Oh, sure. You can find me on Twitter at at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. We also just kickstarted the Engadget podcast there. So be sure to search for that in your favorite client and subscribe. All right. And uh, I do another show called Culturally Relevant. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. I interview filmmakers, authors, artists every week. And uh, you should check it out. Culturally Relevant is the name of the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing discussing El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, uh, and it's just been out on Netflix. It's obviously the follow-up to the wildly successful show Breaking Bad. Very keen to hear what you guys think about it. Um, so that's what's next in store for the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, slash bad. It's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that